And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson, and I'm very excited to be joined today by Mr. David Valentine from the Avidel Agency. We're going to be talking about email and lead generation and all sorts of cool stuff today. Before we get started, I do want to remind everybody that today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, but Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. David, welcome to the show, man. Super excited to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. So I guess before we get started, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your your agency. Uh, I mean, nobody can see our, our video here, but you know, behind you, you've got all these logos of all these companies you have that I'm going to guess are all marketing, sales and marketing related. So tell us all about your background. I'd love to learn more. Yeah. So uh, when I was 10 years old, I started selling candy bars out of my backpack uh, for 50 cents to my classmates. I remember going to my dad and asking for a five dollar loan so I could go find go buy candy bars for twenty five cents and then mark them up to fifty cents. And uh, I've kind of been on this entrepreneurial journey ever since I was ten. You know, did odd, odd jobs and mowing lawns and all sorts of stuff. And then uh, I started my first company when I was twenty five. I really had no idea what I was doing, Matt. Uh, I just knew marketing. I'd been doing marketing in the digital space and and digital advertising and video production and. Uh, web design for eight and a half years at that point and really enjoyed it and was pretty good at it. Not amazing, but good enough. And I'd always been in-house. And so uh, what really drove me to go start my own agency was I started engaging with these other agencies and they didn't have a whole lot of great uh, transparency. I wasn't getting a whole lot of information on what was working, what wasn't working on behalf of uh, my employer at the time. And I just went, you know, I think I can do this better. And so I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and uh, I, we I never just, do. yeah, right. And I just started. And so uh, right before we officially launched the first company, my wife and I found out that we were pregnant with our first kid. And so I was like, well, damn, I'm gonna have to make this work. And so uh, that kind of transpired over the next 18 months. I did both jobs. So I kept the nine to five and I also did the business so that I could keep paying bills. And so for that first year and a half, literally it was wake up at five uh, on a weekday, work from five until 7.30, 7.45 maybe, uh, get ready to go to work, drive 30 minutes into the office, work a nine to five. Sometimes I didn't just work on the company work. Sometimes I worked on the business work yeah. on the company dime. Yeah. And then when I had a brief moment and then I'd drive home, uh, hang out with my wife and newborn, and then uh, until about seven thirty, eight o'clock, and then I'd go back to work from about eight until yep. ten, ten thirty every weekend. It was a nine to five working on the business. This is a common story, right? 
yes. finally made enough after 18 months where I could pay myself a modest salary to replace uh, at least the the bills that need to be paid. And um, and then really from there, man, it was it was a journey of stripping away the things that weren't working and really putting things in place to make my life uh, better. And one of the things that I did was at the age of 29, my doctor said, hey, Dave, how do you know that you're going to have a heart attack? And I was like, I don't understand the question, doc. And he goes, you don't know. You just have one. He said, you're 29. We've tested 4,500 people. You're the most stressed out person we've ever tested. And out of 4,500 people of all different ages, shapes, sizes, you're the most stressed out. And he said, uh, you're not going to make it to 40. And so at the time, I was just doing the uh, startup hustle work, right? I there mean, you go. 60, 80 hour work weeks every single week, no time off. It was just churning, churning, churning. And so at that 29 year point, I went, okay, well, damn, I have to change some things. So I started incorporating new practices back in. I was always an athlete in junior high and high school growing up. And I just stopped working out because we had a kid and I had a business that was growing, doing all that stuff. So I started working out again. I started meditating again. Uh, and then I also started to build businesses in a way that didn't need me to be the guru or uh, the go-to. And that's really when everything started to turn. And while we were doing seven figures at the time that I had that conversation with my doctor, um, it was a different way to do seven figures moving forward. And so, uh, and even going into eight figures. And so, uh, yeah, that's really the the story behind it, man, is uh, a lot of challenge, a lot of trial and error. And then ultimately leading to new ways of doing life and new ways of doing business that have been very, very successful. Well, I feel like a lot of people struggle with that dynamic of, you know, being the the central point, you know, in the company and being able to step back and kind of work on the company instead of working in the company, right, is what is one way they always describe it. And a lot of people struggle with that. They really struggle with that. And they just don't trust other people. They don't hire the right people. They it's just a battle. I mean, how did, how did you overcome that battle? Yeah, I think it was one of those things where, uh, when I was confronted with the reality that I was just working myself to death, uh, that I really had to start to go, okay, what is it that clients want, uh, specifically for the marketing firm that I was working with? What is it that they actually want? All the things we point to, like we do this and we do this and we do this, they don't give a shit. They just want results. And so the big thing that we started doing, Matt, was we just started saying, okay, so what if we sold things based on results? Instead of saying, you're going to get this scope of work. Look how shiny and pretty it is. It's a terrible way to sell things. (laughs) Um, So for you, was it just doing less? Or was it that you needed to do some key hires to, to help you step up, you know, work less or what, always, what did you have yeah. to do to? So one of the key hires we made early on was we hired a, right after that situation, we hired an operator who had implemented the entrepreneurial operating system EOS at other companies. I knew that we needed a system to operate the business. She came in uh, as a low level employee. I really quickly identified that we needed to get her out of the low level positions and move her up into operations more and more. And so we did that. That was massively helpful. The other thing that we did was we simplified what we were offering as a service. We just said, hey, this is what we do. And we don't do anything else. And so those were the two things that really made a huge difference. Obviously, there were powerful hires along the way as well. But that was really the turning point. 
So that company uh, that you had back then, uh, is it still a company you have today? Same company or? We sold that um, three years ago now. And a little bit after that started Avidel, which is um, the, the biggest company out of the companies that I own right now. Uh, and it's an SDR firm. And so a lot of the, um, the, the firms that I have, like I, we have an SDR firm, we have a PR firm, we have a um, branding agency, uh, we have a, I, I run a consulting firm where I consult with um, entrepreneurs of every size and kind of help them grow and scale. We have uh, a uh, internet security system uh, that will give you, uh, you know, information technology security. So we've got all these different things that complement one another. Uh, a lot of times when someone hires one of the companies, they end up working with one, you know, another one or possibly all of the companies. And uh, it's a, it's a fun way to run things. So what made you start the SDR business? So, and I guess for those who are not familiar with SDR, I want you to explain what that is. Yeah. So an outsourced SDR uh, agency is a outsourced sales development rep firm. So essentially what we do is we book B2B meetings for clients um, the reason why we started that, Matt, is because one of the things that we always heard back from our clients was, um, hey, I either want sales directly converting through my e-commerce site, I want foot traffic to my physical location, this is from the previous business, or I want B2B leads. And one of the things that we would do is we'd be extremely successful at driving B2B leads. I mean, just lead after lead after lead after lead after lead. And then they'd ultimately say, hey, this is great, but my salespeople have to track these down. Some of them are bad numbers. Some of them are bad emails. You know, I don't, you sent me 100 leads a day for the month of uh, June, and maybe 50% of those were actually solid leads. So it was good, not great. So they're always like, you know, it would be really great is if you could book us a meeting. Uh, and so we actually started doing SDR for ourselves in the original company. And it's how we got all of our our customers. And so we landed uh, a lot of mom and pop shops you've never heard of. And we've also, we also landed huge companies that everyone's heard of, like Target. Um, and so the way that we did that was using the SDR methods that then Avidel perfected um, and executes on behalf of its clients today. Well, and so my last company was a B2B company. And um, we got lots of inbound leads through... Um, content marketing, and, and we got hundreds of leads a month. But yeah, then the, the struggle was then always like, you know, getting those people on the phone, getting them engaged, qualifying them, like having real conversations with them. And that kind of sales development work was always really difficult and tedious. And it's really hard to get employees to do it, right? I mean, that that's one of the biggest struggles, I feel like for a lot of people, they're like, you got these salespeople, they're like, yeah, if you get me the calls, you know, I can close the deals that it's really hard to hire people and get them to make, you know, 50 phone calls a day and send 200 emails a day and like every day do this sort of work that's somewhat tedious, right? But it's it's a numbers game, right? And so if you can perfect it and you can do it every day, it works. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that uh, you know, whenever I went to go look at this business, Matt, one of the things that I learned that was really surprising to me was that a it typically costs a company $100,000 or more to hire an in-house sales development rep. So someone that's actually doing the work that Avidel does. 
And that's because of software and lead lists that they need and yes. time to ramp up. It usually takes them 90 days to ramp up before they book their first meeting because they're getting a sense for who you are, what you're doing. And then 83% of those internal SDRs miss their quota every quarter. So it's a huge number. The cost is huge for most small businesses that are growing. It's even a large number for large businesses, truth be told. We actually work, Abadel works with a lot of large companies as well as small companies to do SDR work to book these meetings because they can't do it. And the reason why they can't do it is, and I had this, this brilliant mentor early on in my career explain this to me. He said, most people want sales to do at least two jobs. Some of them want them to do three jobs. So they'll say something like, hey, I need you to prospect and get the meeting. Then I need you to sell them on the work. And then some people would even go a step further and say, and I want you to manage that account. And I knew agency owners that did that. And my mentor said, look, those people exist. They're so rare and you pay them $250,000 a year. Yeah. He's like, because they're just not, that's not normal. He said, instead... Hire one person to do your prospecting. Hire one person to do your sales. Hire one person to manage the account. And so as we've gone out into the world and really kind of preached that message from my mentor, people have a light bulb go off and they go, oh yeah, I'm not very good at getting the meeting booked. But once I have the meeting, I'm a killer at closing it or vice versa. Man, I'm really good at booking the meeting, but I can't sell it. Or man, I'm really great at accounts, but I can't sell anything. So whenever you start to divvy those up and see those as truly three different positions, all of a sudden, man, uh, the floodgates open up to your ability to sell more, uh, book more meetings, and have better results once they are a client or a customer. So my my first company sold uh, software to car dealerships, and we had that exact model. We we um, The great thing about car dealerships, you call them up and they answer the phone. <laughs> They're easy to get on the phone, right? Yeah. And uh, you're like, I need to talk to the you know internet sales manager. And you know what? He answers the phone. And like, hey, that's the guy we're trying to sell to. And he answers the phone every time. It's beautiful. But um, we had what we called fishing poles. And they were like, they were the people that just made those calls, you know, hundreds yeah. of calls a month just. And but yeah, we had those very defined roles. You're right. I think it's, it's so huge to have those defined roles because the people that are good at closing the deals, especially like big, complex enterprise deals are definitely not the people that are going to make 50 phone calls a day. Like they're just different personalities. They're not, and, and to some degree that work is sort of beneath them, right? Like they're not going to right. do that kind of work. Right. Yep. So it's, it's fun, man. It's a really good time. And uh, it's fun to be one of the biggest and fastest growing SCR firms in the world at this point. So when you guys um, are, are working for kind of your target customer, is it somebody that they're good at doing part of that or, or they have to get to a certain size you know like so for example if they've like hey we have one salesperson today like are they too small like you're like okay we, you know we work best when they've got two or three kind of account managers or people that can close the deal where they would like to have five to ten sdrs but they just struggle to hire and train them like wh where's the like size that outsourcing this to a firm like you helps so it can help at any size. So here's here's what my the reason why this came about, like I said, was in my first company, I needed to book meetings so that I could get more clients. Well, that's the name of the game for every business that isn't doing a million dollars in revenue. They just need more clients. So if you go to any kind of group 
for people that are under a million dollars in revenue in a, in a company, you know what you hear every time? I'm, you've been in these meetings, man. You, you'll hear every time, I just need to get more customers. I just need to get more customers. I just need more clients. If I only have more customers, if I only have more clients. And so the reality is everyone needs this. It's just not accessible to everyone at a high level. And so that's the challenge, right? Is that if I had the service that I have right now and I was at the place where I was when I started to do this on my own, I couldn't have afforded where I am at this point in time. But what I started to realize was in that time, the power of cold email outreach, uh, which is not sexy. People don't like it. People think it's, they have ideas about what that means. Is it spammy? Can I even do it? Is it legal? The answer is yes, you can totally do it. Uh, does it work? According to HubSpot, they did a survey last year of 100,000 B2B uh, buyers, 100,000 plus, 78% of them said that they prefer to do deals, have conversations, and get agreements via email over anything else. And that was in October of 2021 that they came out with that. So email is still huge. And then the second thing that was unique to us was we decided that we were going to do creative direct mail. So actually sending tangible physical things in the mail that were unique and different and that stood out. So I found a vendor uh, who the owner of the company became my close friend and business confidant. It's a company called Better Than a Letter. They send out pinatas in the mail that come outside of a box. They have candy inside. They'll have a note on the side of the pinata with a QR code that goes directly to a calendar, uh, calendar link. Uh, we'll do stuff like a message in a bottle. Same idea. Like it's something unique. It comes in tubular mail. So you think you're getting a poster or you, you think you're getting blueprints or something, and they're getting a message in a bottle. Uh, and we've done stuff like that. There's also another company that we use called Ignite Post. They're based out of Boston. They have an AI robot that does handwritten notes. So it looks authentic mm -hmm. like I wrote it, and then it sends yeah. them out on your behalf. And these tools have become so powerful for us, Matt. They actually yield great results for not only our clients, but also ourselves, all the companies behind me, the seven that we work with, they all leverage Avidel services to grow and they're all growing exponentially fast. Well, and I have to admit, you know, I'm, I'm not the person that really likes receiving junk mail and, and uh, I mean, spam, like spam junk mail. But if you send me a physical thing in the mail, like more often than not, I'm going to get it and I'm going to see it. Like if you send me spam, like it probably gets filtered out and like I likely going to skim right over it. But that's the thing. Like, if I get a physical, tangible thing in my mail, I might look at it for three seconds and throw it away. But I looked at it for three seconds. And I'll never forget, there was some company, I don't even remember who they were now, but they sent us like something that was like, had like a video screen on it. Like, you opened up the thing and it was like, started playing a video and, and they kept sending us shit. And I'm like, I don't know who these people are, but they are desperate to get our attention. And it was <laughs> yeah. crazy. Like, we kept talking about them in the office. We're like, these crazy people keep sending us this shit. But you know what? We were talking about them. They got our attention. That's for damn sure. Yeah, it's been interesting to hear. We we got a so we we have another thing that we send using better than a letter. It's uh, called emojigram. So it's corrugated plastic. So uh, that's die cut into the shape of an of an emoji with it printed on the front. And so we have like the crying, laughing one or the hard eyes one. But we sent a poop emoji to <laughs> AT and T on behalf of a, an app development firm. And the app development firm got a meeting with the VP of, of marketing, one of the VPs of marketing, they have several. And uh, he goes, listen, no one has ever sent me shit in the mail. 
That was hilarious. <laughs> I want to talk to you guys, and that's why I'm yeah. here. And they ended up closing a seven-figure-plus deal with that uh, with AT&T to do an app development for them. And so if you do some of these things that are unique, and, and we even do this in, in email as well, Matt. You know, One of the things that people get wrong a lot is they're so verbose. They'll write a 12-line email or 20, or I've seen some that are multiple pages. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, we yeah. send emails out that are two to six sentences in length. And that's the sweet spot. People just want to know who you are, who you serve. Do you have an offer for me? Why should I get on a call with you, man? You know, and once you get through that, you can actually have a substantive conversation about your products and services. So I want to talk a lot more about email marketing. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody that um, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the full-scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what uh, available developers, testers, and leaders are available to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So our company does software development, and I'm the chief technology officer basically at a company. And I get, I'll call it spam, on a weekly basis from companies trying to provide software development services. And the problem with all of them, to me, is like I don't know who they are, and and I don't trust them, right? And I feel like... The, the, those are the hardest things to overcome in email marketing. But if they do a good job of giving me free content or free information or can help educate me, and eventually I can learn more about their company, learn more about their brand, become you know more trustworthy about that company, maybe I'd be more likely to contact them, right? So I mean, how do, how do, you, how do you help companies over, overcome those, those challenges with email marketing? Yeah, there, there are two things that really work well. So one is taking case studies and shrinking them down to a singular sentence. So a lot of go. people will take case studies and they'll make them multiple pages long. You don't do that. Don't. So we actually created a formula that's really easy to follow. So you say, we worked with company X, and if you can use their name, that's best. But if you can't, because you have an NDA or whatever, say uh, you know a leading Fortune 500 company or a leading technology, whatever you want to say, you can find another way to be nondescript without uh, losing the point there. So we work with company X. We got Y result. So whatever that means for your industry, your firm, whatever, in Z time. And the shorter that you can make the time span that they got the result, the more likely you're going to get a response from that, right? So this this is really easily understood when it comes to getting into shape, whatever getting into shape means for you. If I say, hey, listen, uh, Matt, I'm going to help you get in shape. You're going to be in the best shape of your life. It's going to take you 18 months. I need you to come to the gym every day, five days a week for 18 months, but you'll be in the best shape of your life. I only need an hour, five days a week. You're going to be like, well, sure, man, of course. Like if I work out like a, a Hollywood star trying to get in shape for uh, a superhero movie, of course, I'm going to be in great shape. Thanks. And that's a lot of time. But if I say, hey, Matt, all you got to do is take this pill for 45 days, and you're going to be in the best shape of your life. And all you got to do is work out two hours a week. You're gonna be like, okay, uh, that's way more valuable to me. That's way more interesting. So number one is writing quality case studies in a short format. Number two, and this one will actually do more power than any of your case studies combined you have to have what I call as an outrageous offer. Something that sounds too good to be true, 
but it's actually a way for you to demonstrate the value you're going to provide to your customer or clients. Okay. So a thing that we do for every one of our businesses is we have something that sounds too good to be true. So I own a flight school with my brother, my younger brother. He's a pilot for American Airlines. So we started this flight school. It's based outside of the Fort Worth, Dallas, Fort Worth area. And I said, Hey man, um, what's the best way to get new students? And he said, well, the best way to get new students is, is to have them come in and do what's called a discovery flight. They, they, at most places, they pay 200 to 300 bucks. They get to go up for 30 minutes with an instructor pilot. They land. They usually, we usually let them take off and fly the plane around and have this full experience. And most schools are trying to make their money back off that as a, a lead gen source, right? So they'll pay 300, 400, 500 bucks to get this one lead. And then they're hoping to recoup that. And I just said, well, what if we just made it so that we didn't even cover our costs necessarily, but we got way more students coming into that discovery flight. And he was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, let's make the discovery flight 50 bucks. And he was like, we're going to pay more for gas. We're going to pay more on the instructor pilot for the 30 minutes that they're in the air than we will from that $50. I said, I know. I'm just trying to defer the cost. I said, what's our close rate like right now for students that are going through the, the uh, discovery flight? And he goes, oh, we close 88% of them. I said, ding, ding, ding. We have a winner because when we close a student, the cheapest, the cheapest program that we have is $10,000. I was like, dude, the, and most students, they go for the whole kit and caboodle. It's 80 grand. I was like, so we're going to lose 200 bucks, but we're going to have more students come in because we have a cheap discovery flight. We have a real, almost a 90% close rate after they do that. And we're going to upsell them into an $80,000 program, most likely. I said, this is easy. This is a no-brainer. And so what that's done is we've grown so fast that it's like, Oh my gosh, we got to get financing for more planes. We got to, we're building a hangar right now. Like, and so when you do things like this um, and you give a great offer like that and you're leading with it in emails, you will get as many meetings as you want. Well, I think that, I think that's the key, right? Is you got to figure out what is that outrageous offer or, um, you know, value that they can provide, right? I think that's the key. The other option is it's like, is providing value of some form providing free information, free training, free, whatever it is, providing some sort of value. Yeah. We, we had a, uh, we, we, had, we have a cannabis client who, uh, and I don't know if, you know, most listeners probably won't know this, but some will. So in the cannabis world, because it's still not federally legal, which is absurd, but beside the point, uh, you can't cross state lines with any products. It's actually legal to do so. So you have to grow and produce that product in the state that you're selling it in. So for cannabis companies, it's exceptionally expensive to expand. Uh, so we were representing this cannabis company that was based in Washington, D.C. They decided that they wanted to open uh, some wholesale chains uh, to sell their stuff in California. They have a very small target audience. There's only about 350 cannabis retail stores in the state of California, which shocked the hell out of me. And out of those, you have only a finite number of people that are responsible for purchasing wholesale items. They were struggling to get meetings when they came on board. And I, they requested a meeting with me. And so I talked with them, Matt, and here's what I said. I said, guys, you don't have an offer 
So you sound like everybody else is hawking stuff. I'm sure that you're offering free samples. They were like, yeah, it's exactly what we're doing. I was like, you can't be like everybody else. Like, what do we do? And I said, here, here, I've got two ideas for you. I was like, here's the first one. Number one, pay for a co-branded billboard with any retail shop that takes on you, you guys as an account. I said, you know, because if they buy from you, how much are they going to buy from you? And they go, oh, usually on a yearly basis, about 40 grand. I said, okay, how much does a billboard cost in California? And they go, well, the most expensive spot probably be like eight grand for a month. I said, perfect. I said, so you're going to do a co-branded billboard with that retail shop. You're going to spend at most $8,000. Most places you're going to spend like three to four. And, and they were like, sure. And I said, so here's what it's going to do. Number one, you're going to get more accounts. You're going to have more meetings. Number two, when someone comes in, usually when they come into a cannabis shop, they have no idea what they want. But now they're going to be able to say, I want that product because they saw it on the billboard. They're like, oh. The second thing I said was because they have an artisanal edible product. I said, hey, man, what if you had a chef go in and make these products on site and then did a tasting? And they're like, oh, my gosh, that's brilliant. So those two things, Matt, just to give you an idea, they went from booking six or seven meetings a month to booking 35 meetings a month just because they switched an offer. We still had the same targeting. It was the same people. It was the same number of emails. Nothing else changed. All they did was take the ideas that I gave them and said, great, let's roll with those as outrageous offers. And they booked so many meetings that last month they hit, hit up their account manager at Avidel and they said, hey, Dave's ideal ideas work so well. Can we put a pause on the campaign for August? Because we can't fulfill all the customers that we have. That's I call those a, champagne problems. <laughs> it, it's a good problem to have, but it's a bad problem to have. I've been there before. So when you're doing this SDR kind of kind of work with your customers, um, do, do you find that it works best when you're doing, you know, are, are you dealing with inbound leads that you're trying to qualify and, and warm them up and, and close appointments? Or are you just like, look, we're finding random names and calling random people? Or do you guys do both types of work? Or what, what can you tell me about that? Yeah, so we, we have a proven process that we take everybody through. So that's pretty refined at this point, honestly, Matt. So first thing we do is we get a signed contract and then two to three business days later, they do an onboarding call. They have it with their strategist and their account manager. And it's a 45 minute meeting where we just do a deep dive into, hey, give us the unique value propositions of your company. Do you have an outrageous offer? Can you give us some case studies? Who's your ideal customer persona? You know, is it uh, companies that have 20 to 500 employees that sell B2B SaaS? Is it uh, massive enterprise companies. What are their job titles? We kind of go through the whole thing. And then what we end up doing is we, we have, uh, we pay for four different database subscriptions that, uh, charge us more than my salary by an exponential every year. Yeah. <laughs> it's insanely expensive. Um, and we go and plug that data in and then it spits out information to, uh, a team member that we have multiple team members that work in that depart- department, but, uh, they look at it and they go, okay, this makes sense. And they spot check, uh, around the first thousand names, just to make sure that we're on the right ch- track based on that onboarding. A week after that onboarding, we'll present what we call is our atlas. Uh, so at Avidel, we do all adventure theme, expedition theme sort of uh, branding language. So in the atlas, we show them, hey, here's your total addressable market from the four databases. 
Here's some sample email copy. Here's some sample direct mail copy and some sample direct mail pieces. And then also how best to work with us. And so that meeting usually takes 20 minutes. And um, in that meeting, a lot of the times what we're asking them to do is fact check. Hey, did we factually get this case study correct? Is this, this is how you talk about your product or service correct. And just making sure that we're on the same page. Um, and then from there, we, we go finalize their, uh, their email campaigns and then turn them on. So from start to finish, Matt, from the email signature to when their campaigns launch is two and a half to three weeks. And the real story there is we don't charge them a dime until their campaign launches. So they're uh, kind of getting work for free, as it were, until their campaign goes. Um, and then to answer your question directly about are we just hitting people randomly or is it inbound? We really study and try to find people that are a good fit, uh, but it's all cold outreach outbound. So we're looking for people that fit the ICP and then we're reaching out. Um, none of it's inbound in a traditional inbound sense at all. Well, that's huge because, I mean, most companies do fairly well with the inbound stuff because they're warm leads, right? It's the, the totally cold leads like you're talking about that is the most difficult. And like at full scale, we have the same issue. And I'm sure this is a, the, the hardest thing you have with your clients, right? Is trying to figure out who is your addressable market that you're trying to, to go after and trying to pare that down. Because everybody's like, well, we can serve everybody. <laughs> and it's like, well, you can't call everybody. So who are the most important of everybody to call? If I have to call three people, who is it? Like, it's not random everybody. There's got to be somebody that's a higher priority than just any random person, right? Like, that's always a struggle. But like at full scale, we have that issue. It's like, oh, we provide software development services. So there's like millions of potential customers, right? Like, it's that's the hardest struggle is trying to I feel like for a lot of companies I'm sure that you work with is trying to like beat into them. Like you've got to narrow this down to your ICP, you know? And um, how, how do you, do you have any recommendations on that side of it? Cause I feel like that's one of the biggest problems that all entrepreneurs have is they feel like they, they want to chase every fish in the ocean instead of like nailing it down to a specific niche. Yeah. If you've, if you've been in business for a while, you probably have some nucleus of clients in a industry at a certain size, in a certain uh, condition, um, you even have some idea of like, who did we reach out? Who do we have that initial meeting with? And how did that play out? So like a thing that, that we've found a lot, Matt, is if you're talking to owner founders of smaller companies, you'll get more meetings. And most of the time, those are ch more challenging sales. Why? Because it's their money. You're asking them for their money to spend their money. Now, if you get a director of marketing or CMO or an, a head of operations or a CTO, right? It's not their money. It's someone else's money. So they're fine if they're not the owner. They're fine to spend it. It's just a matter of who can I justify the most back to owner, founder, CEO, board, whoever, right? They have to justify this purchase. And so it's an interesting model flip. But one of the things that I encourage people to do to find that audience is like, okay, do you have a nucleus? Like, are there clumps of, of companies that do really well with you guys? And so like for Avidel, it's pretty simple. Uh, marketing firms, we crush it for. And B2B software slash SaaS companies, we, we just like, we're great at that. That's where most of our clients sit. We have the cannabis company. We've got some uh, flight part companies that we represent. We've got companies in all sorts of different weird industries that sell B2B and we book them a lot of meetings. 
the two that we have the most in are B2B tech and SaaS and marketing agencies. So we run specific email campaigns to those ICPs. And what we see, Matt, over and over and over again is that that's where we have so much traction. We score so many wins. And it's outside of that that we'll get some wins every now and again. But really, we're trying to hit these two verticals. So, um, and, e- and, and for all those, email is the key driver. Yeah, email. So email books 86% of all the meetings we book for our clients every single month. We book around 2,000 meetings for all of our combined clients. We have 120 uh, right now. And 86% of those month after month are coming from email. The other 14% come from the creative direct mail. But to your point earlier, Matt, about, hey, if you send me something in the physical mail, not only does it have 100% open rate, but I'm going to talk about you some. We found that while the 14% is not as big, the close rate for our clients on the 14% that come from direct mail is actually higher than the ones that come through email. And so it's really interesting for somebody to get a tangible, physical branded product. It does something to our psyche. So how has the COVID and working remote affected that though? Because if you would have mailed anything to our office, literally nobody would have got any of it for like a year or two. So how, how, did, that, how did that impact the, the, the direct mail part of it? Yeah, so that was uh, that was an interesting wrinkle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, like every uh, like every business owner that's listening to this podcast, you know that you always encounter these problems that just uh, expect the unexpected, right? You never yeah. know when something like that is going to happen. So what we started doing was we started saying, reaching out to people in the sequence and saying, "Hey, listen, I have a gift that I'd like to send you in the mail. This is the address that we have on file. Is this the best way for me to get it to you?" And it became hilarious, Matt, because we got something like, I think the last time I heard the count before I told them to delete this information <laughs> was we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 9,500 plus uh, home mailing addresses that people had sent to us and said, hey, actually, we're not going to be in the office for a while. Here's my home address. You're not going to send me a bomb, are you? You know, like some, some people yeah. would write like some fun notes. And we'd be like, no, it's truly a gift. It's just something that's fun and delightful and we wanted to send it to you. So a lot of people gave us their home addresses and that's where we sent things and it worked out great. Yeah, and it's, I imagine today it's still gotta be, it's still gotta be a little tricky because like like now I'm the chief technology officer of a company, but I don't work in their office. I work from right. home. So yeah. if you send it to their office, our, our corporate office is in Minneapolis and we have you know 50 people that work in that office. But I'm not one of them. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's still got to be tricky. Like the whole uh, working remote thing has thrown a wrinkle into it. But it's a fun way to email people and try and get like, hey, I have something free for you. Do you work remote or I got this cool thing? I want to make sure you get it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. The, another way to start the conversation. Yep. And, and it's it's interesting. People really appreciate that you're just trying to do something different and fun and unique. Um, mo- most of the time, people get what's going on and it doesn't scare them they actually feel good and they feel like oh man here's someone that's trying you know and i think that that's a big deal in sales and meeting bookings uh for b2b sales purposes is man that people just want to feel like they're important and special because we forget a lot that like we are all the hero of our own story and everything that you matt have going on today is vitally important to your life and so for someone to come in and say, hey, I just want to give you a little something. It's not huge, but I, I just want to give you something. That has a feeling. That has a resonance. And that's what good marketing 
really does is it really makes you feel seen, appreciated, and heard. And if you can do that through email and cold direct mail, you're really doing something unique and special. Well, this has been a fun conversation today. And uh, as we wrap this up, I do want to remind everybody, um, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io. Do you need help hiring software engineers, testers, or leaders? We can help you at FullScale. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, QA, and software development leaders. At FullScale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. So... As we wrap this up, I'm curious um, for those who may be listening, like, man, I've, you know, hiring, you know, a a company like this that could help me do SDR work and and ramp up the outbound. Like that sounds amazing. What, if, if if somebody's thinking about that, what, what is the like average ticket price that they've got it, they've got to get to where that makes sense? Like obviously if you're Netflix and it's like $9 a month, there's probably not a huge ROI there of having like these expert call center people making these calls. So what, where, where's that threshold? How, how big of a ticket does this need to be before this starts to make sense? Yeah, generally speaking, you know, if you've got a product that's $20,000 in annual recurring revenue or more, or you've got an average project fee that's around twenty to $30,000, uh, or you have a monthly recurring revenue of at least two grand a month, this really makes sense. And there are different firms out there. We're Avidel is a big firm. It's it's as big as some of the bigger players in the space, like Sales Hive or Science. A lot of people have heard of those. Um, there, there are a dime a dozen small shops that are out there trying to get to a large scale uh, like Avidel. And so uh, you can find some out there that'll sell you services for two grand a month or 1500 uh, Typically, if you're going to go with a larger company like Avidel or Sales Hive or Science, you're going to charge $5,000 to $8,000 a month just to get started. So you have to really find a good partner. Um, And so one of the things that we like to do, Matt, and I'd love to offer it to uh, your listeners, if that's okay, uh, is a lot of people have been in this space and they've been burned. And so uh, they're not sure or or they've never tried this. They've never outsourced it and they don't know if it's going to work. So what I'd love to do for your listeners is um, just offer that We'll give any of your listeners three meetings free, uh, no strings attached. All they got to do is email me in the email or the headline of the email, just type in the name of this podcast and I'll get them connected with a salesperson who will get them set up. And uh, literally it's three meetings free after the third meeting. If it's not a good fit, they're charged $0. If it is a good fit, then they can move into a paying model. Um, but uh, they can just email me and the, my email address is David, D-A-V-I-D, at Avadel, A-V-A-D-E-L, dot agency. And um, just drop the, the podcast title in the headline, and then uh, we'll get them hooked up with those three free meetings. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's a great offer. And, and I, I think the key is, and that's why I asked the question kind of qualifying, is like you've got to have a, a product or service that's you know $20,000 or, or something like that. And I think that was part of our struggle with my last company is our average customer only paid, say, $2,000 a year. And it was much harder to staff and, and create a successful outbound um, campaign. 
Now for us, it was focusing on the bigger fish. So we had customers that paid us more. We had customers that could pay 20,000, but it was always trying to weed down to which ones are the 20,000. And that's why I mentioned earlier, the hard part is like when you're trying to sell to everybody, it's like, we can't sell to everybody because you, you can't afford to do this to, you know, to the, the people that don't pay a lot, right? You've got to, you got to get it down to your niche that really pays the most that, you know, closes the most and focus on those. And uh, I think that's, that's got to be one of the hardest things for a lot of people is trying to get them to focus down to that, that, that group that is the best group to focus on. Yeah. It's one of the things that I'm constantly asking the question for all the businesses, Matt is, okay. So once they sign on with us for if, if it's for PR or branding or SDR or whatever it is, right. It's like, once they sign on with us, what's the next problem they're going to have? How can we help them solve that? And so one of the things that we've done at Avidel is we host an outrageous offer workshop the second Tuesday of every month. And any Avidel client can join and I'll walk them through the process, the formula, formula that we use to structure that offer. And it really does make a difference. The other thing that we do is we offer ongoing sales training. Because to your point, Matt, the cold calls are the hardest ones to take. Everybody closes referrals. Everybody closes those deals all the time. Then they get on a cold call and they don't know what to do. Well, we take thousands of cold calls a month between all the companies put together. So we've gotten pretty good. <laughs> we've gotten pretty good at it. And so we train them on how to do that. And I think that that's the next level thinking for a lot of business owners too, is like, Hey, once they sign on with your company, what's the next problem that you can help them solve so that they don't just have the success that you're providing, but they find their own success. And uh, if you can do that, man, you will have lifetime customers that love you. Well, that is uh, amazing um, feedback for everybody to take to, to to learn from. So, thank thank you so much for for everything today. Uh, this, this has been a great episode. I hope everybody um, learned a lot more about SDRs and cold calling, and and for maybe some of them gave them a little more confidence in doing cold calling. It, it's difficult to do, and definitely firms like yourselves can help a lot. And I think that offer that uh, you provided was great. Can you remind everybody one more time how to take advantage of that free offer? Yeah. So if you want to take advantage of that offer, you can just email me D-A-V-I-D at Avadel, A-V-A-D-E-L dot agency. Uh, just put the, the name of the podcast in the headline and I would be so excited to get you three meetings booked for free. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, David. And um, I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much, Matt. This has been fun. All right. Thank you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.